So here's the thing, entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople, we all want to create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we want to do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question, and this show is dedicated to the answer. What I uh, deeply respected and always appreciated about Jay is like me, he deals with all of them, right? I deal with, you know, a real estate agent. I deal with, uh, you know, uh, two female CEOs that I'm coaching and I've invested in. One of them is north of a million. One of them is like basically at zero, almost in a freemium model. The same six rules apply to then the conversation I have with the CEO of a 6,000 salesperson, you know, $75 million in company dollar business, the same six rules apply to that person as it does to the person that says, I'm gonna drive Uber and also have a job. So I wanna walk you through the six and my intention is kind of twofold. A, I wanna just, I wanna, I wanna drop these, these sort of pebbles of thought into your head, almost sort of, metaphorically, like if your brain was sort of this calm, beautiful lake, I want to throw a pebble, maybe a rock, maybe that entire bottle of water, boom, right into it and see the ripple effect of that one idea. And those ripples, by the way, is new clients, it's new revenue, it's new growth. Maybe you get employees, maybe, maybe just maybe it sparks the fire of ambition in you and allows you to take your business to that thing that everybody talks about the next level. Remember, it's get to a million, million to five, five to 10, 10 to 25, right? 25 to 50, 50 to 100, and then it really gets bananas. So I want to talk to you about the six. As I said, two intentions. One, to plant those seeds, to drop those pebbles into the pond of your mind and really have you think through, you know, how could I do this? Not could I, how could I do this, right? Like, can I take this on? What would this be like for me? Do I have that ambition, right? What are all the things I can do in my business? Cause you know, maybe I'm in a direct to sales business. Maybe I'm in a, a software sales. Maybe I'm building an app. Maybe I own a hair salon, like businesses, 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 business, right? Like all businesses, innovation and marketing, all businesses, finding clients and keeping clients. Like it's that simple, but these six apply to all of them, including some of the biggest companies on the planet that I get to deal with that some have gone public and some were already public and some of them are always going to be private and they're some of the biggest companies, some of the biggest brands. The point is the same six. So I want to spark the imagination and give you some tools. And then secondarily, I want to honor my mentor and someone that I call friend Jay Abraham as a constant thank you and reminder for his ability to plant these seeds in me and allow me to do the same. So here we go. You ready? There's six things you can do to drive your business. The first are obvious, the three he calls advanced. Number one is you increase the number of clients. Now, that should sound like the blinding flash of the obvious, uh, and it is. And of course, my little side note next to that is also the discipline of tracking and measuring where the clients come from. So number one is you increase the number of clients. You wanna grow your business? Hey, if you're an Uber driver, you need, you need like clients all the time, right? No downtime, as an example. Uh, if you are, you know, um, <laughs> the guy that cut my hair forever, right? Daniel, who decided he wanted to be an artist, 
in the afternoons. True story, wrote about it in Life by Design. I actually referred to him as like, he was my therapist, right? Because he was just one of those kind of guys. But he remembers him saying to me, look, Tom, what I need is, I, I need to make a certain amount of money for my hair business, like cutting hair, dyeing hair, all that good stuff, to then go take the time to do what I really want to do, which is my art in the afternoon. And, you know, fast forward, Dan, if you're listening to this, man, I'm so proud of you because now he's, he could, he could do 250 to $500,000 in commissioned artwork every year. But what he said to me was, I've got a time constraint on my business. And I said, Hey, what if you did the second principle, which is increase the average transaction value, increase the average transaction value and you increase the number of clients. So transaction value could be price. Like what do you charge? fee if you're in a service business or commission business and or both. And, you know, of course, when you say this to someone like Daniel, who is a brilliant artist, oh, Tom, you don't understand my business. It's not going to work. And then I said, well, look, what if you, for example, said, I'm only going to work with these types of people. So you're going to attract a different clientele who wants to get their haircut. Listen to this at five o'clock in the morning. I'll be your first customer and I'll refer you people that are busy like me that are going to the gym, doing all the stuff early. We, you know, we don't have time to go to the, you know, to go get our haircut in the middle of the day. And I don't want to do it at seven o'clock at night. And I don't want to do it on the weekends. I want to do other things. And he said, there's just not enough people like that. I said, let's just try fast forward. He raises his fee. He switches his hours. And you know what? It took him about 18 months. And all of a sudden, like Brenda, all of his clients came in early in the morning and then basically he'd take a little power nap, do his thing, maybe go to the gym, and then he'd do his art, which somehow miraculously he could do his art until three o'clock in the morning because it was his absolute passion. And he was able to maintain the revenue he needed by getting the right clients, increasing the average transaction value and more clients. It's always the combination of the two, in my opinion, and voila, then he gets all the revenue on the art. So the first two, how can you increase the number of transactions or clients how can you increase the number of clients? And we're going to, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of ideas to think about. Number two, how can you increase the average transaction value? If you're in the service business, can you raise the prices? Can you raise the prices when everybody else is dropping prices? Could you increase the margin you make so the price remains the same, but you can increase the margin? We'll get into that. Or could you do combinations of both? right? If you're in the sales business and there's a commission and every commission seems to be negotiable, can you be the one that creates such a massive degree of separation and provides so much more value that the fee that you charge to the customer becomes not an issue where when all the apples are exactly the same, when all the apples are exactly the same, I'll take the inexpensive one, right? Because that's what consumers do. So those are the first two. And I hope already you're thinking whatever business you're in, so how am I gonna increase the number of clients I get? How am I gonna do that? There's so many ways to generate clients. How am I gonna do it? And then how could I increase the, the transaction value, right? Like if you were a, uh, someone in the mortgage business, you could say, how could I increase the average size of the loan, right? So do you have direct to consumer business? Do you go through agents? Do you go through builders, right? There's all kinds of different ways you can play that. If you're uh, in the service business, if you were a coach, you can say, how do I increase my fees, right? Or how do I increase the longevity, how long the customer is with me? That's another way to look at it, right? So there's, there's just a myriad of things that you can do if you're willing to take the time to think differently. Number three, he said, you always want to look for ways to increase the frequency of how often your customers purchase. Now, 
you know, if you sell homes and the average consumer only buys and sells real estate once every 10 years, you might say, oh, well, I can't do that one. Well, really? Well, what if you said to yourself, look, my goal is uh, every time I sell a house, I want to sell them an investment property in the next two years. Well, if you did that, then you've achieved the mission, right? Even if it was only, let's say you did 20 transactions and you only got 10% of your customers to then buy a rental property in or out of your market, whatever works for you, just as an example, you've now increased the frequency of their purchase, right? If you, um, I like records, right? Now it's funny, like I don't have anybody outside of maybe Amazon and a couple of like, you know, old record stores that I go to, but if there was actually somebody out there who sells records, like I would buy just about anything you can find me on David Bowie, Iggy Pop, Lou Reed, Led Zeppelin, The Beatles, and I would love, I'd spend more money, by the way, on anything that was original copy. Uh, I would spend a fortune on first edition books by uh, Brian Tracy, Earl Nightingale, uh, you know, anything by Napoleon Hill, on and on and on, right? Like, like, if you're in the sales business, if your job you got to find out what it is your customers really want. And if it's in your wheelhouse to deliver that, deliver that, right? So often we settle for, they come in and they, I'm using the example of buying a house again. It's so easy. Oh my God, they're writing it off. They want to buy a house. This is so great. Okay, write it up. Don't say anything too stupid. Close the deal. Ah, commission. Instead of saying, wait a minute, what is the lifetime value of Tristan and Stephanie who just closed on their new house and have now been in for a couple months, right? Like, if, if, if I was their agent, I'd already be saying, congratulations, you guys bought a place in Southern California. The average appreciation over the last two decades, right? And I'm using easy math. You bought a $400,000 place. The average appreciation is 7% per year, which means in the next five years, if everything goes exactly the same, your home value should be from here to here. You put this much money down. That means you're going to have that much equity. So in seven years, we should plan to pull some of that money out and go buy an investment property or sell the property and go buy a duplex this time. See, if we start thinking about increasing the number of clients, if we start thinking about increasing the average value of the transaction, and then you start increasing the frequency of how often somebody works with you, just there alone, you could probably already with those three little pebbles in your beautiful brain, and maybe a whiteboard or a yellow notepad or however you take notes, right? Evernote, whatever you do. If you just sat for an hour or two and said, okay, my business is generating $100,000 a year or it's generating $100 million a year. How am I going to get more new clients? What are all the different ways? And, you, and I'm going to get into this in depth. What do you already do and what could you do, right? That's really the thing. Most people, you're doing exactly what you think you should do and you're missing out on tens of other opportunities, but I'm getting ahead of myself. How do I increase the average transaction value? How can I raise the price, raise the fees or do both? And if you just sat there with that question and you just started writing and writing and writing and writing and writing and you didn't get caught up in the, well, that's never been done before in my industry or wow, that'd be counterintuitive to what my competitors are doing. And you didn't allow yourself to talk yourself out of it. The magic that comes from asking the right question is just that magic right? And then number three, how do I increase the frequency of purchase? I think that's like one of my most favorite things to figure out. Like, you know, in, in any business, especially, um, think about like every, um, juice company or health company that sells like products, right. And, and they actually do some other things, which you're going to see, but like 
if I get somebody to buy from me every single month and they're buying my protein powder as an example and they're spending $145 a month and they're on like auto ship, like if I called them and said, do you ever find yourself running low on that? What if we increased every other month one additional bag that would cover the difference so you always have enough protein, right? Something as simple as that, right? Before you start talking about upsells and other products that they could buy from you. Hey, it's Tom. If you've been listening to me for a while, you've heard me say repeatedly over and over again, we are living in the review economy. That's right. Consumers are making decisions based upon reviews. With that said, I'm looking to get this podcast into the minds of more amazing people just like you. You can help. Would you go to Apple Podcasts and write a review? Tell them what you think. Hey, one star, five stars, make up your own number of stars. Totally fine by me, but please go to Apple Podcast and write a review. It means the world to me. Thanks in advance. Now, let's get back to the show. The bottom line is this. I guess kind of tying off the first three before I give you the advanced ones is we got to think. We got to be willing to slow down and think, right? How am I going to increase the number of clients? How do I increase the average transaction value? And then how do I increase how often they purchase from me? And if you just do that, my friend, you're going to grow your business. It's automatic. It's guaranteed. As much as the sun's going to go up and the sun's going to go down, you're going to win. Now, let's talk about the three advanced strategies that he taught me. So the first thing he said to me is, look, once, once you got those three, and by the way, you're working on them all the time. You're never stopping doing that, right? You're putting automation and processes in place to keep those things humming all the time, creating a repeatable and scalable business. He said, then you have to ask yourself the three more advanced strategies. Number one, Four on the list is penetrate a new market every 12 to 18 months. So, so let's say uh, my buddy Steve, who started a juice company, and I'm going to interview him on the podcast, so I'll save a little of the details. He starts out with three locations in Southern California, basically five minutes from his house. So he's got his three. And he's like, okay, I figured this out. We're making these juices. People are digging it. You know, we have good marketing. We have good branding. People are coming in. They're buying the juice. I'm making a decent margin. Each store is doing X hundred thousand dollars in revenue. You know, he's not personally back there like pressing the juices. He's figured out this sort of almost McDonald's-esque, you know, if you will, solution. Now, what new markets do I want to penetrate? You with me? Where do I want to go from here? Right? And all of a sudden now it's like, oh, I'll go to Long Beach. Oh, let's go to Los Angeles. Oh my God, let's go to Phoenix. And all of a sudden, Texas. This is exactly what Starbucks did. Started up in Seattle and they're like, we're going to go here and then boom, look at Uber. Uber is the ultimate example of penetrate a new market, right? And if you go back to the early days of Uber, and I know anyone that's listening, right? There was a while when like we wouldn't even say the word Uber because of how many, how bad it was from an executive standpoint there. Like literally we wouldn't say, oh, we should get an Uber. We'd be like, oh, let's take a lift even though we actually got in an Uber because it was just so bad. But go back beyond that, right? Let that go. Instead, Uber would say, okay, we're going to Orange County, California, right? And they had a launch plan. They would find the influencers. They would find the drivers of all the different other limousine companies because things like LinkedIn show you everything, right? And all of a sudden, they're throwing parties and events at bars and and like they figured out like early, how do we go and launch and penetrate a new market? You could be a loan officer in San Diego and say, hey, right now I really only work uh, North San Diego County, but you know what? La Jolla, Del Mar, The Ranch, Point Loma, right? 
you could be um, you could be a consultant, and the way you've always done your business is face to face, and overnight say, you know what? If I went from face to face, always able to shake their hand to Zoom, I can talk to you face to face and see you and still do all the same work. I'm just not in the same location. Thank you, GoToMeeting, Zoom, and others. Technically, I can take on entirely different countries, right? With the same approach. It's the same conversation. Every 12 to 18 months, you should be penetrating a new market, penetrating a new market. And by the way, that could be, I always sell this and I'm adding this new market into it. And it could also be an entirely new market, but I'm getting to the next one, which is five. Every 12 to 18 months, you should be introducing a new product or a new service to your customer base or the market. Let me say it to you again. Every 12 to 18 months, you should be introducing a new product or a new service to your existing customer base or your new prospects or that new market or your existing market every 12 to 18 months. Think about, let's use Starbucks as a wonderful example. And even though, actually, this is actually great because if you pay attention, they actually pulled away from it and then modified it and refined it and switched it to something else. Remember when you'd walk into Starbucks and there'd be CDs to buy? So, so what were they doing, right? The, on the real estate side of, of my sort of mindset and training world, right? All my real estate clients know, I would say, look, you can stand or sit in a Starbucks, open up your laptop, have your company logo on your laptop, your headset on, act like you're on the phone talking to clients or not, or just sitting there doing research or whatever you do and meeting customers or whatever it is. And someone with your company name badge, someone's going to walk by and go, Hey man, you're in real estate. How's the market? What's going on? Right? Cause it's just, everybody wants to know. And I'm like, and the reason why is because more people go to Starbucks in 14 seconds than they will go to any one of your open houses anywhere in the world. Right. And that's in, in like four hours, right? It's just, it's bananas. The foot traffic that Starbucks gets, that Bank of America gets at their banking centers, equivalent to what Walmart gets. It's just, it's bananas, right? But what did they say? We're gonna introduce new products and new services to all these people coming in. And all of a sudden they were selling mugs, they were selling CDs, they were doing promotions. And then I think they kind of stepped back from that, if you, if you remember that trend, and they said, we're not gonna sell CDs anymore. That's kind of stupid, right? Because people aren't walking in to get a CD. So you know what they said? Let's start selling cooler coffee supplies. And they went hard on that. Right. And you see them bringing out now it's occasionally a t-shirt or this, or that maybe is Pete's coffee by my house. who's an also national brand. They're bringing in natural and automatic, like most likely to consume next products to their customers. Does that make sense? So like if I'm at Gulfstream and I'm selling jets, right? I actually almost thought to myself, like, I'm going to sell parachutes, but that actually might make sense, but it also might stop people from buying the jet. But like, I'm not going to say, hey, thank you so much for coming and buying our Gulfstream airplane. Uh, let me also talk to you about our life insurance policies. Like it just, even though that does kind of make sense, it doesn't make any sense. You with me on this? So you want to think about when you're introducing a new product, when you're introducing a new service, does it have a natural fit? Is there a need in the market for your customer for you to bring that to? So if I'm cutting hair and I don't, for example, do a beard trim or do the high and tight, I only do a more classic hairstyle or I don't do the, um, I'm like 
you know, hair dyeing and whatever all those products are, you know, like perms, I almost said, like I didn't look at my team, like all that stuff, right? Like that's another example. Or you know what? Hey, I own my salon, the place that I go, right? So big shout out to the Den Barber down in Laguna Beach. If I walk inside there, you know what they sell? Hair gel, beard gel, all these things that are natural and automatic that I'm going to go buy from amazon.com. But I'm, since I'm there and I just got my haircut and they trim my beard. Yeah. Give me that stuff. Does that make sense? So penetrate a new market every 12 to 18 months, right? Go after a new market every 12 to 18 months or introduce a new product or service every 12 to 18 months that would be a natural fit for what you do and what your customers want, what your database, what your list wants. And then number six is you should be buying or purchasing, merging, however you want to do it, one of your competitor's business every 12 to 18 months. Now that's the more advanced one, right? That's the more advanced one. So think about Super 73, right? Super 73, they need to increase the number of clients, always, right? Super 73, if you don't know that, Tristan and his wife are a part of this like fantastic like tribe of people that ride these like really cool electric bikes. And they've, you know, they've driven in New York City and San Francisco and all over LA and they live in Orange County and he shot videos on them. And by the way, they pay him commissions because of that. I mean, it helped you buy the house. Like it's like they figured out increased clients by offering referral fees, right? As an example, we're going to get into all that stuff, but they've also increased the actual cost of the unit by adding on additional things that you can do to the bike. So instead of just getting the standard bike, oh, what? Do you like leather seats or do you want like the pleather seats? Do you want suspension? Do you want these tires, those tires? Do you want, you know, some additional this, some of that, right? And all of a sudden you walk in, it's totally counter to the company. Remember Saturn, the car company? Like Saturn, you walked into a Saturn and you were like, you're like, hey, you know, can I get like a, you know, $1,000 off? Like the price is $13,999 because we only build one car and there's no ups and extras. It just is what it is, right? You want to put bigger tires on it? You do it on your own. We don't do that. Here is the car. Tesla, interestingly enough, used to have on the S model, the S, the, the P85, the P60, the P100, the P100D. You know what they have now? The S model and the super fast S model, that's it. They've simplified and actually brought the price down because what did they do? They penetrated new markets. How about a truck? How about a supercar, right? So they simplified to increase manufacturing to improve results. If you're paying attention to Tesla, I'm super long on that stock. And then they penetrated new markets. Let's go after the truck market, which is huge in the US, right? Can you see if you start thinking about businesses that you're watching, right? It's automatic, right? Why did, why did um, you know, Disney buy Pixar, right? Disney bought Pixar. Like if you, if you actually, um, I forget the name of the online courses you can go to, but Bob Iger, who's the CEO, who's like an uh, executive at ABC, who now is running Disney, which is a monster global enterprise with how many, it's, it, looks like, it looks like GE, but it's entertainment, right? Parks, movies, this, video, yada, yada. They bought Pixar because he very openly said they have better talent, more creative talent, and they're kicking our butt. And it's too hard for me to find the talent. I'll just go acquire them. Buy a competitor every 12 to 18 months, 
right? He buys Star Wars and what does he do? He increases the transaction value. He increases clients by creating younger Star Wars related products to find younger people and then he hits all the rest of us with nostalgia products. This is business, my friend. So if you're watching this right now and you feel like I'm bouncing all over the place, I, I probably am. But it's because like some people have hobbies like surfing and skating. Like my hobby is business. Like I'm fascinated by why somebody can go from $100,000 to a million to 10 million and do it in five or six years because they look at this as a framework and they just find the nuance and the sequence and bam, they skyrocket. So that's the six. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.